Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is uh, for Alma chapter 19. So Ammon has come among the Lamanites. He's teaching uh, King Lamoni. King Lamoni believes his words, and now he's... Uh, fallen to the earth, and he's been unconscious now for a couple of days, and uh, so now let's get into chapter 19. Verse 1, And it came to pass that after two days and two nights that they were about to take his body, King Lamoni, and lay it in a sepulcher which they had made for the purpose of burying their dead. Now the queen, having heard of the fame of Ammon, therefore she sent and desired that he should come in unto her. And it came to pass that Ammon did as he was commanded, and, and went in unto the queen, and desired to know what she would have him what she would that he should do. And she said unto him, Thy, The servants of my husband have made it known unto me that thou art a prophet of a holy God, and that thou hast power to do many mighty works in his name. Therefore, if this is the case, I would that ye should go in and see my husband, for he has been laid upon his bed for the space of two days and two nights. And some say that he is not dead, but others say that he is dead and that he stinketh and that he ought to be placed in the sepulchre. But as for myself, to me he doth not stink. It's an odd phrase that they would use, isn't it? Now, this was what Ammon desired, for he knew that King Lamoni was under the power of God. He knew that the dark veil of unbelief was being cast away from his mind, and the light which did light up his mind, which was the light of the glory of God, which was a marvelous light of his goodness. Yea, this light had infused such joy into his soul, the cloud of darkness having been dispelled, and that the light of everlasting life was lit up in his soul. Yea, he knew that this had that this had overcome his natural frame, and he was carried away in God. Elder McConkie said, Those who heed the enticements and submit to the strivings of the Holy Spirit, which is the light of Christ, are enabled to receive the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Ghost. We have no better illustration of the full operation of the light of Christ upon an investigator of the gospel than what happened to King Lamoni. Verse 7, Therefore what the queen desired of him was, was his only desire. Therefore he went in to see the king, according as the queen had desired him. And he saw the king, and he knew that he was not dead. And he said unto the queen, He is not dead, but he sleepeth in God. And on the morrow he shall rise again, therefore bury him not. And Ammon said unto her, Believest thou this? And she said unto him, I have had no witness, save thy word, and the word of our servants. Nevertheless I believe that it shall be according as thou hast said. And Ammon said unto her, Blessed art thou because of thy exceeding faith. I say unto thee, woman, there has not been such great faith among all the people of the Nephites. And it came to pass that she watched over the bed of her husband from that time even until that time on the morrow, which Ammon had appointed that he should rise. And it came to pass that he arose, according to the words of Ammon. And as he arose, he stretched forth his hand unto the woman and said, Blessed be the name of God, and blessed art thou. For as, thou, for as sure as thou livest, behold, I have seen my Redeemer, and he shall come forth and be born of a woman, and he shall redeem all mankind who believe on his name. Now when he had said these words, his heart was swollen within him, and he sunk again with joy, and the queen also sunk down, being overpowered by the Spirit. From what we can deduce from scriptural writ, it appears that a trance is a state in which the body and its functions become 
quiescent in order that the full powers of the spirit may be centered on the revelations of heaven. Freed from the fetters of a mortal body, man's spirit can be ushered into the divine presence. It can hear what otherwise could not be heard and see what otherwise could not be seen, even the visions of eternity and even the Almighty himself. Yet the trance, like all other spiritual experiences, is subject to counterfeiting. The test of leg legitimacy of the religious trance, like that of tongues, is the efficacy of its purpose. Its genuineness must be ascertained by the same standards that determine the verity of revelation in all other forms. That is, by asking of such questions as, does it teach faith in Christ, repentance, sacrifice, obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel, and loyalty to the Lord's current and constituted church and his anointed servants? That was by Millet McConkie. Elder David B. Haight similarly said, or had an out-of-body experience which occurred while he was very ill. He related the story during uh, October 8, 1989 General Conference. He said he expressed deep gratitude for the faith and prayers of countless people in his behalf and for the divine intervention that spared his life from a serious illness. He recounted his experience the evening of his health crisis as he pled with his Heavenly Father to spare his life a little longer to have more time to do his work, if it was his will. While still praying, he recalled, I began to lose consciousness. I was now in a calm, peaceful setting. All was serene and quiet. I was conscious of two persons in the distance on a hillside. Detailed features were not discernible. I heard no voices, but was conscious of being in a holy presence and atmosphere. During the days that followed, Elder Haight said he was shown a panoramic view of Christ's earthly ministry. He saw the Savior and his apostles on the eve of his betrayal, where the Lord instructed and prepared the sacrament as a remembrance of his coming sacrifice. It was so impressively portrayed to me, the overwhelming love of the Savior for each. I witnessed his, awful, his thoughtful concern for significant details, the washing of the dusty feet of each apostle, his breaking and blessing of the loaf of dark bread and the blessing of the wine, then his dreadful disclosure that one would betray him. He, he said he saw Christ in Gethsemane, where in some manner beyond our comprehension, the Savior took upon himself the sins of mankind. As he witnessed these events during his days of unconsciousness, Elder Haight said, the Holy Ghost blessed him with a more perfect knowledge of the Lord's mission. My soul was was taught over and over again, he said solemnly. I witnessed his struggling up the hill and his weakened condition carrying the cross and his being stretched upon it. I cannot begin to convey to you the deep impact that these scenes have confirmed upon my soul. Now was the Elder David B. Haight. Verse 14, now Ammon, seeing the Spirit of the Lord poured out according to his prayers upon the Lamanites, his brethren, who had been the cause of so much mourning among the Nephites or among all the people of God because of their in iniquities and their traditions, he fell upon his knees and began to pour out his soul in prayer and thanksgiving to God for what he had done for his brethren, and he was also overpowered with joy, and thus they were they all three had sunk to the earth. Hugh Nibley said, Of course, the hardest thing to contain is joy. Anybody can contain all sorts of pain. It's amazing what you can put up with when you have to put up with pain. How astonishing it is. There's just no limit. But joy is a thing that's, that scares the daylights out of you. You can't contain it and don't know what to do with it. In the Moscow Art Theater, they say, suffer, suffer, suffer. That's the way you become an artist. Well, we love to suffer. There's no limit to how much we can suffer, but joy is so much harder to take. You don't know what's, what, uh, what to do with it, do you? And yet that's the purpose of our existence. We are that we might have joy. So we are learning to control joy and control ourselves when we have it. We can't contain it. You see, it's a hard thing to contain. What do you do? Do you shout and holler and run around? Do you make a fool of yourself, etc.? How can you contain that in yourself? Well, they are, they 
are all sinking down here and passing out, and that's the best thing. After all, when pain becomes too great, you black out automatically. So that takes care of that. It's the same thing with joy. If you can't contain it, when you don't know how to handle a problem psychologically, what do you do? You black out. This is your defense. Verse 15, <clears throat> now when the servants of the king had seen that they had fallen, they also began to cry unto God, for the fear of the Lord had come upon them also. For it was they who had stood before the king and testified unto him concerning the great power of Ammon. And it came to pass that they did call on the name of the Lord in their might, even until they had all fallen to the earth, save it were one of the Lamanitish women, whose name was Abish. Now, Abish is one of the very few named women in the Book of Mormon. That her name is present here is even more remarkable because she was a servant, and the records of the world typically record the names of royalty, but not the names of servants. The presence of her name and the details of this little aside suggest that Abish was more important in the original record than we see here, than we see her in Mormon's account. While the description of her conversion provides an explanation of why she did not fall down, nevertheless, it would not be anything that would require that she be recorded by name when other women, such as the queen, are not named. This contrast between the named servant and the unnamed queen hint at a much more important role for Abish in the establishment of the gospel through Ammon than we have in our records. And that was a quote by Brant Gardner. Continuing verse 16, she having been converted unto the Lord for many years on account of a remarkable vision of her father. Abish had not succumbed to the influence of the spirit because it was not a new experience for her like the king and the people around him. Thus, having been converted to the Lord and never having been having made it known, therefore, when she saw that all the servants of Lamoni had fallen to the earth and also her mistress, the queen and the king and Ammon lay prostrate upon the, upon the earth, she knew that it was the power of God, and supposing that this opportunity by making known unto the people what had happened unto them, by beholding this scene, it would cause them to believe in the power of God. Therefore, she ran forth from house to house, making it known unto the people. She had a good idea, but not everyone will share her view. Sometimes we have what we think are good ideas that kind of backfire on us, and this one sort of backfires on her. 18. They began to assemble themselves together unto the house of the king, and there came a multitude, and to their astonishment they beheld the king and the queen and their servants prostrate upon the earth, and, and they all lay there as though they were dead, and they also saw Ammon, and behold, it was, he was a Nephite. They may have known him by reputation as a Nephite, or his clothing indicated that he was a Nephite. And now the people began to murmur among themselves, some saying that it was a great evil that had come upon them, or upon the king and his house, because he had suffered that the Nephites should remain in, in the land. But others rebuked them, saying the king had brought this evil upon his house, because he slew his servants, who had had their flocks scattered at the waters of Sebus. And they were also rebuked by those men who stood at the waters of Sebus and scattered the flocks which belonged to the king. I guess these are guys there. We can tell that they're from the flocks, or from the from the, this group, because they just have one arm now, I guess. Huh? These are the one-armed band. For they were angry with Ammon because of the number which he had slain of their brethren at the waters of Sebus while defending the flocks of the king. Now one of them, whose brother had been slain with the sword of Ammon, being exceedingly angry with Ammon, drew his sword, probably with the one good army had left, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, and went forth that he might let it, let it fall upon Ammon to slay him, and as he lifted the sword to smite him, behold, he fell dead. Joseph Smith saw an angel of the Lord in vision protecting Brigham Young. Uh, Joseph Smith said, I saw Elder Brigham Young standing in a strange land in the far south and west in a desert place upon a rock in the midst of about a dozen men of color who appeared hostile. He was preaching to them in their own tongue, and the angel of God standing above his head with a drawn sword in his hand, protecting him. But he did not see it. 
Thy days are known, as Joseph was told, and thy years shall not be numbered less. Therefore, fear not what man can do, for God shall be with you forever and ever. Remember that Ammon is protected, that uh, Mosiah was told that they would not die. Verse 23, now we see that Ammon could not be slain, for the Lord had said unto Mosiah his father, I will spare him, and it shall be unto him according to thy faith. Therefore, Mosiah trusted him unto the Lord. And it came to pass that when the multitude beheld that the man had fallen dead, who lifted the sword to slay Ammon, fear came upon them all, and they durst not put forth their hands to touch him or any of those who had fallen, and they began to marvel again among themselves what could be the cause of this great power, or what all these things could mean. And it came to pass that there were many among them who said that Ammon was the great spirit, and others said that he was sent by the great spirit, but others rebuked them all, saying that he was a monster who had been sent from the Nephites to torment them. It is obvious from this account that many perceive the doings and handiwork of God and understand his ways. Others are absolutely oblivious to what is divine and can neither recognize nor believe a heavenly manifestation when they see one. Uh, that was from Millet McConkie. And that, isn't that often the case, though? We can have two people in a sacrament meeting. One thinks it's a wonderful meeting and the, and the spirit was felt. The other one thinks it's uh, it was a joke and not even worth their attending. Verse 27, there were some who said that Ammon was sent by the great spirit to afflict them because of their iniquities and that it was the great spirit that had always attended the Nephites who had ever delivered them out of their hands. And they said that it was this great spirit who had destroyed so many of their brethren, the Lamanites. And thus the contention began to be exceedingly sharp among them. And while they were thus contending, the woman servant who had caused the multitude to be gathered together came. And when she saw the contention, which was among the multitude, she was exceedingly sorrowful, even unto tears. Elder Maxwell said, another special challenge we face from time to time is having good motives and good intentions and even good actions misfire. Abish, the Lamanitish woman, was not the first nor the last church member to think an opportunity to be present and therefore to act on the impulse to do good. Confusion and contention followed her deed, as did tears from contentious Abish or from conscientious Abish. Vindication was nearly immediate in her case, but it is much slower coming at other times. If our motives and actions are good, we should be able to endure some misunderstanding, but the pain and frustration of it will be real because we really care. Time and truth can cause lower courts of opinion to reverse themselves, hopefully soon, but if not, we will come to that final gate where Jesus Christ is the gatekeeper, and he employeth no servant there. The gospel guarantees ultimate, not proximate justice. And it came to pass that she went and took the queen, uh, took the queen by the hand that perhaps she might raise her up from the ground. And as soon as she touched her hand, she arose and stood upon her feet and cried with a loud voice saying, Oh, blessed Jesus, who has saved me from an awful hell. Oh, blessed gods have mercy on this people. It's interesting here that Abish touches the queen's hand instead of the king's hand. So it may, may not have been permissible for her to touch the king, but she touches the queen instead. Uh, verse 30, and when she had said this, she, clasp, she clasped, clasped her hands, being filled with joy, speaking many words which were not understood. And when she had done this, she took the king Lamoni by the hand, and behold, he arose and stood upon his feet. And he immediately, seeing the contention among his people, went forth and began to rebuke them, and to teach them the words which he had heard from the mouth of Ammon. And as many as heard his words believed and were converted unto the Lord. But there were many among them who would not hear his words, therefore they went their way. I wonder why they wouldn't believe the king when he preaches. I guess they were so entrenched in what they had believed before that they wouldn't believe anything new. And it came to pass that when Ammon arose, he also administered unto them, and also did all the servants of Lamoni. And they did all declare unto the people the selfsame thing, that their hearts had been changed, that they had no more desire to do evil. 
W.L. Stapley said, When the light of Christ is in one's soul, there can be no darkness which leads to temptation and sin. You cannot take darkness into a lighted room any more than one can create doubt in the heart of a person where true faith and testimony exist. Of his own conversion, President Joseph F. Smith said, The feeling that came upon me was that of pure peace of love and of light. I felt in my soul that if I had sinned, and surely I was not without sin, that it, that it had been forgiven me, that I was indeed cleansed from sin, my heart was touched, and I felt that I would not injure the smallest insect beneath my feet. I felt as if I wanted to do good everywhere, to everybody, and to everything. I felt a newness of life, a newness of, desi of desire to do that which was right. There was not one particle of desire for evil left in my soul. Verse 34, And behold, many did declare unto the people that they had seen angels and had conversed with them, and thus they had told them things of God and of his righteousness. <clears throat> and it came to pass that there were many that did believe in their words, and as many as did believe were baptized, and they became a righteous people, and they did establish a church among them. And thus the work of the Lord did commence among the Lamanites. Thus the Lord did begin to to pour out his spirit upon them. And we see that his arm is extended to all people who will repent and believe on his name. Here we reach a critical point in the Book of Mormon history. From this time on, the Lamanites start going up in virtue and the Nephites start going down. And that was by Hugh Nibley. I bear testimony to the truth of these things, that this is uh, that these stories are true and that uh, they teach correct principles, the principles here of, of forgiveness and, and uh, when we desire to, to repent, that we can, and that the Lord will bless us in doing so. I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.